Amen, amen. Great to hear from Tommy. Those of you that walked through that season with Tommy know uh, almost all of his strength, all of his might was gone, and God uh, graciously gave it back and was leading uh, this morning over here in the drum cage. So grateful for that. Uh, You're going to need a copy of God's Word, and go ahead and make your way to Colossians chapter 1. And if you are a guest here with us, we're glad that you're here. I invite you to stick six with us, stick six weeks. So we get to know you, you get to know us a little bit more, and uh, hopefully this is a place that feels like home for you. Now, if you are a guest, we've been going through this series. Uh, Our focus as a church in 2024 is worship, growing in deeper roots and in deeper ways in our everyday life to worship and to glorify God. And we've started off this year on worship with that passage that Tommy read for us in Deuteronomy chapter 6, that we want to worship the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our strength. And so two weeks ago, we looked at worshiping God with all of our heart, loving Him with our heart, having holy affections. Last week, we looked at worshiping God with all of our soul, and today we're going to look at with all of our might, all of our strength. And this passage in Colossians 1 is going to help us unpack what that means to glorify God with all of our strength. Now, before I read this, I want to ask you a question, and it's going to be like the random weird question of the day. I never thought I'd even answer that question today. But the question is this, if you had to build a boat, if you had to build a ship, how would you do it? Like, how would you build a boat? Like, would you, would you first start and say, we need to gather all of the money, all the finances together that we need in order to build the boat? Or do you think, no, 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 we need, like, the, the plan, we need the schematics together, so let's draw it and hash it all out, make a plan uh, before we even get the money or anything like that. Or maybe you're like, nope, you're just a doer in heart, so, like, we just need the right people, so who would I get that I could think would actually be able to, to build a boat. Let's get the right people in. As, as, if we get the right people, then everything else will fall into place. How would you do it? How would you build a boat? Now, the reason I ask you that is because there's an old quote that goes this way. If you want to build a boat, don't drum up people to collect wood. Don't Assign all the tasks for the work. Rather, teach them to long for the endless immensity of the sea, and they'll build a boat. In other words, don't just give people a command, but give them a vision for why they're doing what they're doing. Now, why I tell you that today is because that's what Colossians chapter 1 is going to do for us. You see, Deuteronomy has given us this this command to love God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and with all of our might. Great, that's a command. But if we just take the command and try to live out the command without the vision and the beauty of our Lord, we'll become taskmasters. Little legalists just trying to check a box and move on to say we've loved God. But if we will pause and take a step back and look at the, the immense beauty of our Savior it will cause us to, in response, worship him by loving him with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and with all of our might. So this is what we're going to look at in Colossians 1, this vision of the beauty of God, and then we'll get into some practicals about how we glorify God with all of our might in lieu of these truths. So follow along with me in verse 15 of Colossians chapter 1. The word of the Lord says this, he, that's speaking of Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, 
the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Pray with me this morning. Lord, we start by thinking on this truth by remembering that you are great and greatly to be praised. And thank you for the reminder from Colossians 1 that you're the, the king of all creation. You're also the king of recreation. Jesus, you created all things. You sustain all things. Lord, you hold all things together. Lord, those things are things that we can see and things that we can't see. Lord, all of creation is for you. So, Lord, we pray today that we would understand your great love and your goodness, your preeminence. Would you show us your beauty so that as we see that vision, Lord, it would strengthen us to worship you with all of our might this morning and this week. Now, let me encourage you. I'm going to give you just a, a little bit of time of silence to pray and ask that God would speak to your heart and your mind, that you would understand him more and believe in him. Would you pray and ask him to do that this morning? Would you pray also for me as we look at this very weighty but, uh, but very gracious passage? that I would be able to communicate it in a way that glorifies God well and stirs all of our hearts to respond in loving him with all of our might. Would you pray that for me? Jesus, hear our prayers today. Be faithful and gracious like you always are to answer them. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, this passage that I just read, you can kind of visually view it as like a funnel. He's going to start really broad and really wide and slowly throughout the section that I read become more narrow in its approach and call for us to worship God. But the first thing I want us to see is that we should love God with all of our might in the world. Or you could say worship Him with all of our might in all creation. This is the very broad that's going to cover every single thing. Now, before we unpack all of that, there's just some, like some head-scratching statements 
that are, that are in verse 15 that we've got to just pause and answer. And I believe as we unpack it and have a greater understanding, it's actually going to, once again, allow us to see the beauty of that sea, the beauty of that ocean from which we want to, want to sail on. Though they might be confusing, us pausing and unpacking them will help us understand more of who our God is. The first confusing statement you see in verse 15 is that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Which, if you think about it, you, you have to ask the question, how can something that's invisible have an image? How is that possible? The image of the invisible God. And it's because Jesus is the representation, the representative of God, God the Father. Christ clearly brings into our hazy notions clarity of an immortal, invisible God who, Scripture tells us, lives in an approachable light. Jesus said in John chapter 14, if you have seen me, then you have seen the Father. And even in this passage, as Paul writes, he says, all the fullness of God dwells in Jesus Christ. We see that in verse 19. All the fullness of God dwells in Jesus. And so if you're like, God's invisible, how can I see him? How can I know him? Look to Jesus. And the great thing about what, what we have in our hands in the Bible is that we can look at Jesus over and over again. We can turn to that page and read that passage. Unlike the people in the time of Christ who maybe saw a miracle one time and never saw Jesus again. No, the gracious goodness of God is that we can look in the pages of Scripture, the Word of God, and see Jesus. His love to help those who are hurting. His kindness to pray for those who are weak. His sacrifice to give his, his life for us. We can see the heartbeat of the Father through Jesus Christ. He's the image of the invisible God. All of God's wisdom, all of God's glory, all of God's justice, all of God's love is perfectly displayed in Christ. And so that should encourage us as we read these words. This is who Jesus is. This is the one who is worthy of all of our might. And the second confusing statement is in verse 15 as well. That he's the firstborn of all creation. What does that mean? He's the firstborn. There's, a, there's not just confusion in our time, there's confusion even earlier. In about the fourth century, there's a man, Arius, who was a teacher in Alexandria, and he read this passage, and he's like, firstborn. That means Jesus must be the first one that was born. He's, cre- he's created. He's a created being. So he started teaching that, that God is a created being, which if you were here when we were talking about the Trinity just several weeks ago, we talk about, no, no, they are co-eternal. Jesus was never created. He always has been God, always will be God. And this kind of confusion started to form because you read it and you're like, yeah, yeah. Firstborn, that, that must mean that he was created. Firstborn must mean firstborn, right? Now, it, it seems that way on the surface until you start to read other passages in the Bible. And then you start to realize, like, wait a second. Maybe we're off with this. See, you go back to the book of Exodus in the Old Testament. And and here in Exodus chapter 4, God calls the nation of Israel the firstborn. Moses speaking to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, says, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn. He'll reference it again in Jeremiah chapter 31. What's interesting is you're like, wait a second. 
Like, there's already another nation there, right? Like, Egypt's already on the scene. You read the book of Genesis, you're going to see all these different nations mentioned. So, Israel's not the first nation on the block. So, how can they be the firstborn? Like, what, what are you doing there? What God is saying that, his, that there's, a, there's a preeminence, there's a firstness that Israel has. There's a preeminence in relationship that the people of Israel have with God. So it's not that they were the first nation, it's that they were preeminent, that they were first above all. Same thing in uh, Psalm 89, verse 27. This is speaking of King David. And God's word says, I will make him the firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. Now, if you know your Bible, you know that David wasn't the firstborn. He had seven older brothers, seven older brothers. And yet God says he's going to be the firstborn? What? No, he says he'll be the firstborn, the highest kings of all the earth. It's, it's highlighting the preeminence again. That is first over all things. So we can, we can read this firstborn sentence in Colossians and be like, man, like God's referencing all these other passages in the Bible. Like somebody needs to communicate to God what firstborn means, right? Because clearly God's confused about what firstborn means. Israel's not the firstborn nation. David wasn't the firstborn son. So maybe God, we need to sit down with God and say, God, you, you, need, to, you need to understand this. <laughs> you know, maybe God's not confused. Maybe we're confused. Maybe we're confused on what this means. And you know, sometimes if you break a word apart, you don't get closer to the meaning of the word. You actually get further and further apart from the word. And you've heard some of these examples before. But think about a butterfly. If you take that word and you break it apart, it's not butter that flies, nor is it a fly that's butter. It's not. The same thing with sandwich. A sandwich contains neither sand nor witches, okay? So sometimes when you break a word apart, it actually gets further from what the word actually means. And it's the same with firstborn. It doesn't mean the first one born. Rather, it means a title of sovereignty, of preeminence, of firstness. In societies at this time, the firstborn was the one that had all the rights and claims to the father's power and possessions. And so as it talks about Jesus being the firstborn of creation, what it's saying is that he is the first over all things. That he has power and might and authority over all the world. This is why he's worthy of us worshiping him with all of our might in the world. Because he, he owns it all. He's first over all of it. Well, over all of what? Like, creation's pretty broad. The world is pretty big. So what does he have creation or authority over? Well, he tells us in verse 16, kind of three different categories I'm going to break it down into. He has authority and power over all that's seen in the world, over all that's seen, all the things of the earth, stars, flowers, snow, rain, trees, oceans, mountains, deserts, rainforests, all those things that we see, he has authority over. And even the things that we can't see with our normal eye, but we get like a magnifying glass out and we can look with a microscope, he has authority over those things that we can see. Viruses and cell, cells and organisms. All of those things he has authority and power over. All the things that we can see. Also, all the things that we can't see. All the unseen things. 
Light waves, sound waves, radio waves, everything on the periodic table that we don't understand. He, he has a power and authority over all of those things that we cannot see. He also has spiritual authority and earthly authority. It talks about it in verse 16 that there's thrones and dominions and rulers and authorities. Like That speaks of both the earthly authorities, right? The, a prime minister or a president or a pastor or even your boss. He's authority over all other authority. But also when it talks about some of these rulers and authorities, sometimes in Scripture it talks about kind of the, the spiritual aspect of life. Over all angels he has authority, over all demons, all these things we cannot see with our eyes, he has authority over. Jesus has authority over all of these things. And the extent of this authority is beautiful in this text. All these things were created through him and for him, and he holds all of them together. All the seen and the unseen, Jesus holds together. And so when we sit here and we talk about the the majesty of Jesus, I hope that you see it. But as you think about this, we have to ask, okay, how does this apply to us? How does this apply to me? And let me pause right now and just say that understanding this truth that Jesus is first and preeminent over all things will change the way that you live. It has to. Jesus is much more than just a a moral teacher, that we come in and we listen to some of his teachings. We're like, I like that one. I don't like that one. I'm going to pick and choose. No, if he is the Lord God Almighty over all things, then he's worthy of all of our strength and energy and effort to worship and praise him with it. So, once again, that can be very broad, the world. Let's, let's glorify God with all of our strength in the world, which anything outside this church, right, we want to glorify God. We'll get to the church here in a second, but Let's just think about our week-to-week life. A majority of what we do kind of in the world is, is work. It's a big part of our, our hours during the week. We, we work. And God would say, yes, use that work or work in such a way that you're glorifying me. You're using your might in your job to glorify me. And you'll see that later on in the book of Colossians if you had time to keep reading. But in Colossians chapter 3, verse 23... It says this, whatever you do, whatever you do, work heartily as unto the Lord and not for men. Work heartily. That, that word heartily, that's a strength term. All of your might that you would, you would do, your work for the Lord. And it doesn't matter. It says whatever you do. It doesn't matter if you're a teacher or you're a doctor. You do that as unto the Lord. It doesn't matter if you're an entrepreneur or you're a stay-at-home mom. You do that as unto the Lord. It doesn't matter if you're in food service or customer service. You do all of that for the glory of the Lord because he's worthy of it. He's over all of that. The Lord of all creation would call us to love him in his creation. And some of you might think, well, I don't like my boss. Well, the good news is, according to Colossians 3.23, it doesn't matter You're ultimately not working for your boss. You're working heartily as unto the Lord. So if you have a terrible boss who you really butt heads with a lot, you're not ultimately working for them. You're working for the Lord. So work heartily. Work heartily as to the Lord. And the flip side of that is true. If you love your boss and you're like, my boss is great, 
they, they, they encourage me, they make sure I do my job well, they give me the evaluations that I need, like all of these things. They're, they're a great boss. Once again, you're still not working for them. Your work ethic should be identical. It should be the same whether you have a good boss or a bad boss because ultimately everything you do in your job is for the Lord. You do it unto Him. So this is what it looks like to glorify God with our body, with our strength in the world. The second thing that takes up the majority of our day, if we're just honest, is eating. We eat a lot, especially as Americans. And God would say, yes, even that I care about. Even that you should glorify me with. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. So whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do it all for the glory of God. God cares about who you share a meal with and what you eat and how much you eat, right? Like God cares about those things, that we would have wisdom with our life, even where we spend our meal times. Oh, I know this takes might and this takes strength to think about. God, how do I glorify you? Is it sharing a meal with a, with a coworker that needs encouragement, that needs prayer? Is it providing a, a, a meal for somebody in need? Like, whatever you do, whether you eat or you drink, would you do it to the glory of God? Not for the glory of yourself, but the glory for Him. I mean, that's going to cover most, if not all, of our life. The only thing not mentioned in here is sleep, Right? God cares about your work, God cares about your eating, and yes, he does care about you sleep. Martin Luther actually prayed, God, as I dream tonight, may I dream dreams that glorify you. <laughs> When's the last time you prayed that? Like, what I dream about at night as I go to sleep, may that be pleasing to you. All that, all that we would do in the world, outside these four walls, everything we do, that we would glorify and worship God in that. Now, it does matter what we do inside these walls as well. Verse 18 of Colossians chapter 1 calls us to look to Jesus as the head of the body, the church. So let us love God with all of our might in this church or in his church. He's the head of the body. And I love what the author Paul does here in Colossians. And he turns a corner. As he talks about that, that Christ is the head of the church, what he's doing is he's moving from this kind of cosmological grand focus of all of creation, all the world, and he's taking that funnel and he's narrowing it down. And he talks about the church. We should glorify God within the church because he's the head of the church. And the reason why this is such a personal term is, we know this if we just thought about it for a little bit, this is a term of connection. <laughs> the head is connected to the body, right? Anywhere my head goes, my body goes with me. Wherever my body goes, my head goes, right? And, and our, our head drives our body. And Jesus drives where we go, how we live as a church, how we respond to community together. And it's Jesus that does that. We don't try to go in opposite direction from his word and his truth. No, we follow it and allow it to lead us and guide us. But this is a personal connected term because Jesus looks at his church the believers in him and says, connected to you, you're connected to me. He actually says somewhere else in scripture that apart from me, you can do nothing. You can do nothing. And I love in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 because Paul will take this very small mention here in 1 Colossians, or Colossians chapter 1, and he'll expound on it and talk about this whole image that Christ is the, is the head and that we are the body. 
We don't have time to read the whole chapter, but for extra credit, you can read it this week. But 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 27 says this, Now you are the body of Christ and individual members of it. That whole chapter is talking about how Christ is the head. And it's given us this image that the church is his body. That we're meant to be his hands and his feet as we serve in the world. And as we serve one another. This, this picture and this language that we see here that you are the body of Christ highlights some really important things for us. If we're going to worship and glorify God as the body of Christ. And one of the things is we've got to realize that we are created to serve one another. The body serves one another. It just does. If you're, you have something in your eye, your hand comes up and, and rubs it. Your body wants to go somewhere, your feet take you there. The body, even the organs inside, they work together to serve the body as a whole. And this image that you see here in, in Colossians as well as in Corinthians is telling us that we, we are meant to serve one another and to care for one another. It also means that we're meant to be connected with one another. You can't serve one another if you're not connected together. And once again, taking this image, we know this to be true. This afternoon, if we walked out into the parking lot and you were walking to your car and you saw a severed foot in the parking lot, you would immediately think two things, at least two things, probably many more, but at least two things. One is that's disgusting, right? It's disgusting. I mean, a normal foot that's attached, that's pretty disgusting. But take it off the body, it's even more disgusting, right? And you would think, I'd be like, oh, it's not connected. That's, oh, that's gross. At the same time, you would think, man, something has gone horribly wrong. An accident happened or some horrendous act of violence happened for, for this foot to be severed from the body. Like, those are the things that would go through your mind. Now, take that analogy and apply it within the church. Some of us are like, we're not connected. We don't really want to part. We want to kind of just come in and come out. We don't want to serve one another. And the way God's Word talks about it is like, that should look to us like, oh, that's disgusting. Like, we, we, we're supposed to be connected to the body. We're supposed to be connected to the head of Christ. We've got to be together, and we've got to serve one another. You see, when something is disconnected, like the foot is disconnected from the body, it, it hurts both the foot and the body, Okay? That foot being severed from the body is going to wither up, right? And that's, that's terrible for the foot. But at the same time, it's terrible for the body because the body doesn't have the foot connected. So how, do, how does the body get from place to place? It's missing a foot. Like both, it's bad for both. And the same is true for us. If you're not connected to the body of Christ, if you're not in community doing life together, it's not just bad for you. you you'll start to wither in some ways spiritually, but it's bad for us as a church, God has called us to work together. And that whole chapter in 1 Corinthians 12 says not all of you are called to be a hand or a foot. Not all of us are called to be an eye. We can't just have one person trying to do everything. No, we are a body working together. So we have to see the importance of being in community and see the importance of serving one another. And as we're in community and as we serve one another, these things will be glorifying to God. These things are a way in which with our strength and our might, we are worshiping and praising God. Think about it. Some of you are not serving because it requires energy and strength. And that's true. But that's what we're called to do, to worship God with all of our might. 
that we would give him our, our energy and our effort, that we would serve him in these different capacities to help serve each other within the body of Christ. And for some of you, as we've talked about this year of worship, you're like, man, I'm really glad we're doing a year of worship because like, my heart has just become kind of stale or stagnant. It's kind of like the crouton on top of the salad, right? You just bite into it, it's crunchy. You're like, man, that's kind of how my heart is right now. If that's where you are, I would encourage you to step out and to serve because as you serve, God will stir in your heart affections for him. Stir in your heart worship for him. And one of the best ways you can do that, honestly, is serving in our kids' ministry. If you want to have your, your heart stirred in worship, go hang out with those kids right across the parking lot on a Sunday morning. And, and have conversations with them and have them ask you questions about the Bible. Some of the very things that you've become numb to are the things you'll start to be refreshed to as you explain the goodness of God and his saving grace. Like, if you would just invest in our kids, and and thank you for those that do. I know a lot of you in this room served last hour across the parking lot, and thank you for doing that. It's great. If if I could clone myself, I I would be up there as well. That is the biggest mission field that you will see on a Sunday morning. We got kids who have, have never believed the gospel, that have never trusted in Christ, and you have the opportunity to, to get with them every other week alongside another teacher and share the good news with them. And I am so thankful for people that did that for me. I didn't believe at that time, but it was later on in life. Was, I remembered what they had taught me. I remember these teachings. My wife and I, a couple years ago, were out in Tennessee, and we went to a church where her mom grew up at, a little small country church. And this lady came up and started talking to my wife and a couple other people. And she, I would guess, would be in her 80s or 90s at that time. And she said, I remember, I was talking to my wife, I remember having your mom in my uh, Sunday school class when she was just a little girl. And she's telling us a story about my mother-in-law. And I looked at this lady and I said, thank you. I know you don't know me. You've never met me. But thank you because your investment it's my mother-in-law has poured into my wife, who ultimately now pours into me. So you've never met me. Just thank you for pouring in to her at that time. And so do not underestimate the fact of pouring into kids. It is not childcare; It's discipleship. We're loving those kids. Now, some of you are like, kids terrify me. <laughs> I do not want to serve the kids' ministry. Awesome. There's plenty of other places. Not everybody's a hand, right? Not everybody's a foot. We have different roles. Maybe you can help with, with kids' check-in where you're talking with parents. Because here's the reality, you have to understand this. There will be moms that come to our church, and before they set foot in here, in this room, before they've ever been greeted by somebody coming into the worship service, before they've ever heard a song or heard a sermon, they have already decided whether they're coming back to this church or not. And it's because of how they were treated up there in the kids' ministry area. How they were welcomed in, how they were loved, how they felt cared for, how they felt like their kids were cared for. And you can just love those parents in such a way that people get connected to the body of Christ because you loved and served them in that way. And for, for some of you, you're like, okay, Ryan, both of those, I'm just kind of out. Like, I'm not, a, I'm not a big public person out front in front of people. Like, you're calling us to worship this year, but, like, I'm not going to do an instrument on stage. Like, there's still lots of places within the church that you can serve that people don't even realize that you're serving. I mean, every week. We have a tech team that gets back here super early in the morning, <clears throat> and they set up, and they make sure all the sound is here so we can hear well. And you might not be able to play keys, but you can play a key, and you sit back there, and you push a button, right? That's all you got to do, one button, and you're helping other people sing and praise God. That's using all the strength of your body, right? At least one finger, right? 
It doesn't, it doesn't require a theological degree for you to be able to serve on our tech team. Just faithfulness and steadfastness. I mean, that's one of the ways you can serve. We also have a, a great ministry here, our deacon ministry, that serve behind the scenes. Some of you are like, I don't even know who all our deacons are. That's great. They want it that way because they're here serving you behind the scenes week in and week out. And they serve in a, a lot of ways that people aren't even thankful for. But I'm grateful for them. We're going to have the privilege to see our deacons come on stage this morning. We're going to get the privilege of ordaining one of our, our new deacons to, to the ministry that's ahead of him as a deacon. Like, these are great things to aspire to and pray God to equip me to be able to serve in these capacities. I mean, the list goes on and on of different ways that we can use our strength to serve God, from small groups to student ministry to hospitality. All of these, do not take for granted, are using your strength to worship God and to lead others to do the same. Now, one more thing this morning that's going to challenge us, the funnel's going to go down even one more level. So it kind of went really broad, the world, all creation, let's glorify Him in the world, Let's glorify him within the church. And then he's going to look and say, and also glorify him in your body. Love God with all of your might in your body. Now, the way that we see this in verses 18 through 23 of, of Colossians, it starts to talk about how Christ took on flesh for us. And he came to earth. And he died and was rose again. In verse 18, it says he's the firstborn from the dead. Which, once again, just for clarity's sake, firstborn does not always mean chronologically first. If you know the Gospels well, uh, Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. He raised uh, this uh, Roman ruler's daughter from the dead in Matthew chapter 9. So there's been multiple people that have been risen from the dead. The difference is Jesus is the firstborn because he has authority and power and preeminence over it all. All those other people went back to the grave. Jesus never did. Never did. And Jesus, he rose from the grave. What he, what he does is he's showing us that our body matters. Jesus took on flesh and died for us. And it tells us in this passage, now with, with that gift of his body, what he's done is he has presented us holy and blameless, according to verse 22. You see, Jesus did not uh, die, did live a life and die and come back as like, Slimer from Ghostbusters in this like spiritual form. No, Jesus came back with a physical body because he's reconciling and redeeming that. He, he, he actually looked at his disciples and he said, hey, touch my hands. Like, feel my feet. He shared meals with them. He ate with them. And Jesus is not saying, oh, I'm going to save you and redeem you, and then you're going to go to heaven and live as like these spirits forever, which seems really weird and awkward, and because it is. <laughs> It's not what the Bible teaches. No, Christ is going to give us a physical body. He's going to resurrect us. And he's going to do it in a sense of holiness and blameless. Because he died, now he's reconciling us. You see, our, our, our bodies matter to him. There's a temptation at this time when this letter was written that God cares about your soul. God cares about your heart. He doesn't really care about your body. So do whatever you want to with that as long as God gets his kind of church time with your soul. And we can have the same temptation today, that God only cares about our Sunday morning and the time that we kind of think about him, or maybe if we pray a little bit, like God cares about that. No, no, no. God cares about all of your life. He cares about what you do with your body, where you go. He cares about all of those things and calls us to respond to those things in worship to him, in worship to him. 
Christ gave his body to reconcile us in order that we might be holy and blameless before him. And what we'll see is that that God, one of, the, one of the greatest ways that we will worship God is with our bodies. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20, you'll see it on the screen. He says, For do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, whom you have from God? You are not your own, you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. God cares about your body. And we have skewed this verse so many times and put it on t-shirts. One of our pastors said this week, he saw a guy that had a, a very large man had on a shirt that said that uh, my body's a temple of God and, uh, and I'm a mega church, <laughs> uh, which is, that's, that's rough. If you have a shirt like that, uh, great, don't wear it out of the house, please. <laughs> it's, uh, it's funny, but it's not, it's not true. This, this passage is talking about the sense that Yes, as we trust in Christ, the Holy Spirit comes to dwell within us. So in a sense, as he dwells within us, we're like a temple. But then if you go read the whole context of 1 Corinthians 6, it's talking about our holiness and us being blameless, us fleeing specifically sexual immorality and pursuing purity with our life. And listen to me, specifically men, it can include women for sure, But let me say this, some of the greatest acts of worship that you will do this year is by resisting temptation and choosing purity and glorifying God with all of your body. That will be some of the greatest acts of worship, and nobody else is going to see it. It's not going to be something here on stage. It's going to be behind closed doors that nobody else sees but God alone. But it will be the greatest act of worship that you present to him this year, choosing self-control and looking to Christ to forgive you of your sins when you fall and fail. And remember that he has reconciled you, not through your works, but through his works. Oh, this is the vision that we need to look to God and say, I will worship you with all of my might. The church family, let us do that. Let us worship God with all of our might through our holiness and purity to him. Now, as we close, I'm going to ask Josh and Brandy Rollins to come on the stage, as well as our deacons that are in the room and any of our pastors this is going to be, as we close, a, a kind of visual representation of, of somebody who's trying and pursuing to serve God with all their might. All of these men that you see on the stage, all of our deacons serve and sacrifice uh, of their strength. It takes time. It takes energy. It takes effort to, to serve in the capacities that they serve, and extremely grateful for that. And so we're going to be able to celebrate and pray for Josh and Brandy here. But let me just say this, before we kind of turn all of our focus in praying for them as a church, if God has been stirring in your heart where you're like, I, I do need to serve God by first maybe giving my life to him, I've never given all of my life to him, then use all of the might that you need, right, to go to next steps right after service and have a conversation about what it means that Christ has made a way to reconcile you to him. Ask those questions, sit down, that next steps area wants to help you be able to do that. Or maybe you're like, I just do want to serve in some of those areas, whether that's kids ministry or tech or students or hospitality. Head to Next Steps as well. Like, that's a way you can serve within the church. And then lastly, just know that we as a staff pray for you. We pray as a church that we be holy and blameless before him. So even individually, maybe you need to confess sins before the Lord and allow him to to make you holy and blameless in his sight. But respond to God. That's one of the ways you're going to worship him today. Now, if you're new to church, 
and you hear us talking about doing an ordination for a deacon, you're like, what is all this? I don't even know what this means. Well, the reason why we do this uh, is not ultimately to highlight them. Um, we we want to highlight Christ and praise Christ more than anything. But we see in Scripture that many times as uh, somebody is called into a leadership role, the church gets together to do two things. One is to affirm that. We see these giftings within your life. You've modeled the love of Christ in this area, and we just want to agree. We affirm this. And so uh, a couple months back, you guys as partners of the West Bears Ministry and Mission nominated Josh as one of our deacons, and we're confirming that today and being able to celebrate that. This is the first time he's ever been a deacon, and so we want to pray for him in that role. And so not only are we going to affirm, but the second thing we're going to do is we're going to pray. And this is what this looks like. As I am praying for Josh, I want to ask for you silently to echo some of those prayers to the Lord. It's too, too easy for us as a church to become passive in our, our prayer time, where I'm praying up here and you're thinking about lunch afterwards, right? Like we've all given into that temptation before, right? But I encourage you to engage your mind as a church to thank God for not just Josh and Brandy serving, but our deacon team as a whole. Thank God for that gift. It's a gift. And at the same time, pray for Josh as he'll serve in different capacities and Brandy as he, she supports and encourages him and serves our church in other capacities. And so we're going to affirm that. I'm grateful for you, buddy. And then we want to pray. And so you guys pray alongside me as we pray and affirm Josh. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the gift that our deacons are to our church. Lord, you set that model and that example in your church, in the book of Acts, and we just want to be faithful as a church to do the same. God, thank you for the servant heart that these men have and how they serve you with all of their heart all of their mind, with all of their soul. And Father, I want to pray specifically for Josh and Brandy. Lord, I ask that you would give them the strength that they need to serve you well. God, I pray for Josh as he'll uh, give weekends of time at time, as he gives nights, as he gives times calling on the phone. God, would you give him strength to do that well? Not just in one year, but in the three years to come and the years ahead of that. God, I pray for, for Brandy. I ask that you would give her just a, a wisdom and a kindness to love and support uh, Josh well in this ministry, to love and to care for the ladies within our church in a number of ways as you open up those doors and make that possible. God, I ask that you would keep them far from temptation. The humble hearts that they have now would continue in the ministry that we have ahead. God, we're grateful for them. I'm grateful for all of our deacons. Would you strengthen them as they love and serve you? It's in your name we pray. Amen. If you would, let's give Josh and the rest of our deacons a round of applause. And, and Sean Owenby has just a small gift here. He's our vice chair for our deacons, for Josh, and we're just really, really grateful for them. So if you would, let's give him one more round of applause. We're grateful. Thank you, brother. Yeah. All right, church family, as we use all of our might to sing to the Lord now, let's stand and lift up our voices to him.